Okay, Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 to 8. Familiar passage. Um, Open up your Bibles and we'll read that. There's eight verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. You can be seated. I've entitled the message today, The Call to Lead. And you can turn uh, back to uh, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is uh, found on the backside of the desert uh, herding sheep for his, his father-in-law, Jethro. And he was uh, on the backside of the desert near the Mount Horeb. And Modus, uh, Moses notices a bush that is burning, but is not burning up. It's not being consumed. And so he goes over to the bush and uh, does a little investigation. And from the bush... God calls Moses, and he offers him a position of leadership over the children of Israel. He calls Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, and to the promised land. And God shared uh, the plan um, with Moses, and Moses reacted much like any of us would. He was uh, a bit reluctant. So God chooses Moses to deliver his people from Pharaoh. And Moses uh, is in the desert and he's leading sheep. And God now wants him to lead his chosen people. But Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Now Moses had many years earlier given this leadership thing a go, and it didn't go well at all. It was a complete failure. And Moses' self-prescribed method of leadership was actually uh, brutality and running people over. He killed an Egyptian. So Moses had failed at leadership, and it seemed like at this point he was very comfortable leading sheep, but very uncomfortable with leading God's people. 
Now, Dr. Hamilton lists Moses' hesitancy as follows in Exodus chapter 3. And uh, right about verse 11. Moses' first objection was his inadequacy in verse 11. He said, who am I that I should go? And God said, I will be with you. Well, Moses' second objection was ignorance in verse 13. Moses says, I don't know who to tell them is sending me. And God says, I am that I am hath sent you. The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Well, Moses had a third excuse, and that was incredibility. And it's not that he was feeling incredible, but he was feeling like he lacked credibility. And Moses said, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And they say that the Lord did not appear unto you. And so um, God uses the staff, and he turns the staff into a snake and tells Moses to pick it up again. And so the Lord gives Moses a sign of who he is um, dealing with, who is calling him. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So God answers all of Moses' questions and his excuses. And I think in that, I see that God never leads us uh, into leadership without giving us tools to use in, in our calling. He gave Moses the staff. He gave David the sling. And these may not seem like significant weapons of war or even really anything worthwhile, but um, uh, Norman said a few weeks ago that as followers of Christ, we are not fighting for victory, but we're fighting from victory. And so when we have the tools from the Lord, they are sufficient. Well, Moses had a fourth excuse, and that was that he was inarticulate. In chapter 4 and verse 10, Moses said, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am of slow speech and a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee that thou shalt say. Now that's pretty clear direction. God says, go. But notice how Moses is digging in. And he says, well... You answered uh, my question about credibility by giving the sign of the staff, turning it into a snake, and then back into a staff. But you've done nothing about my slow speech, my inability to speak. You haven't done anything about that. I was slow of speech before this conversation, and you've done nothing to cure it. Moses said, I'm not capable. I'm not qualified. I lack credibility, and I'm a poor communicator. Now, Moses had four excuses, but it even gets worse. Moses resorts to insubordination or disobedience. In chapter 4, verse 13, 
And he said, O my Lord, send I, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Now what he's saying is there, yeah, earlier he had said, well, in, in verse 14 as well, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And, and it goes on there. But Moses essentially is saying, here am I, send someone else. And often we find ourselves, when God calls us, we, we say, here am I, but send John or Sam or Dave or Jim or Bob or anyone but me. So we want to look at the call to leadership. And before I begin, I don't want to lose any of you, so I want to kind of qualify my statements. Leadership is not a position. It doesn't need to be a position. You don't need an official title or uh, office to be a leader. I see uh, quite a few of my uh, school teachers here, Sunday school teachers, and many of them had influence in my life and were leaders. All of us at some point in our life are leaders. Some of us may have aspirations of future leadership. I don't want to give us some tools that we can use to um, be better leaders, better equipped. So in a primitive sense, I think whoever um, is speaking, for instance, right now, uh, I am the leader, unfortunately for you, I suppose. But since you are listening to me, I am dialoguing, you're following my train of thought, at least some of you, and so I am leading. If you are at um, like a business seminar or in a room full of strangers and you need to work together to solve an issue or um, have some dialogue, who is the leader? Or how do you decide who leads this new group of people? Usually it's whoever talks the loudest or at least can sound somewhat confident um, stringing together a couple of sentences without being too nervous in a crowd of strangers. But leading is communicating. Communicating is, is leading. A leader then, for the purposes of today at least, is one who sees a need, can formulate a plan or vision, and communicate that plan to others. So who is this message for? It's not just for those of you who have positions of leadership, because leadership is not a position. And I am saying that all of us, as followers of Christ, have been given a directive to go, and therefore we are all leaders. Leadership is a byproduct of passion, born out of conviction, which produces communication that leads to action. So, am I a true leader, or am I a world follower? Do I set the standard based on conviction and obedience to God and his word, or do I work to be accepted and approved by my peers? Am I leading the way? And I think this is a very loaded question for us as believers, as Christians. We should be leading people to the scriptures, to Jesus Christ, and setting an example regardless of the consequences. So we want to change 
our attitude from here am I, send someone else, to here am I, send me, as Isaiah did in the verses that John read. And you'll notice in, in the example of Isaiah that he, he had a vision and he saw a need to communicate. Someone needed to be sent. Someone needed to communicate the message. And the question that was presented was very general. Who will go? God didn't say, Isaiah, will you go? But he said, who will go? But Isaiah took that very personally and he answered the call. So I have um, these uh, six elements of leadership that we want to take a look at. And I borrowed the, um, the C words from Albert Moeller in his book, Conviction to Lead. Now, when I was younger, I often wondered how one could um, gain experience in leadership without making mistakes that maybe other leaders had? Or how can you have the good things without the bad things? Um, Experience, of course, is a very good teacher, but if you aspire to leadership, how do you get there? Um, Do you learn leadership by leading? I'd like to talk just a little bit about that. Now, there are some who are natural-born leaders and who just have charisma and a certain personality and skill set that seems to be required um, to be a leader. And we kind of look to them to lead us. But, um, and I may be wrong here, but I think we as conservative, Mennonite, humble, meek Christians follow too much. We think that leadership is associated with pride and we shy away from um, leadership. We shy away from even talking about it. Um, Especially, we would not want to say that uh, when I get big, I want to be a leader because that would be proud. So I think there is a little bit of a problem with that attitude or mindset, and maybe I'm just um, kind of bearing my own soul, but that's certainly the attitude that I have most times, and even um, today is no exception to that. But leaders can prepare for specific roles, and as followers of Christ, we need to prepare. And part of our problem is we have too much false humility, and we're so humble that we never take the time to prepare for leadership. Well, experience is a good teacher, but we can learn from the mistakes of others as well. But I want to look at uh, one way that we can increase our capacity or our ability to lead. And I want to think about the life of Joseph Joseph was a great leader who saved the entire uh, nation of Egypt and others uh, surrounding there. But where did he learn to lead? Before he was the savior, he was a slave and a faithful servant. And before he was a prince, he was a prisoner. And everywhere that Joseph went, he was faithful 
and obedient in serving others. And service to God is one of the best ways that you can increase your capacity to lead. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. In the kingdom of Christ, leadership is, of course, we understand, upside down. If you want to be great, you become a minister. If you want to be great, you become a servant, just like Jesus did. You don't necessarily learn to lead by leading. You learn to lead by serving. And if you don't enjoy serving others, then leadership will probably be a drudgery as well. And I know that there are some young folks here, I may even be so bold to say, that have future aspirations of being a church leader or a pastor. And I want to affirm you in that and encourage you to build that capacity to lead. If you feel the call in your life to be a church leader or a pastor, Paul says in 1 Timothy that that is a noble calling. It is an honorable calling. And I want to encourage you to to build your capacity to lead and to serve. The next one we'll look at is conviction. Now, charisma is a great gift, and growing our ability to lead is noble, but it cannot substitute for conviction. Um, And I think the same can be said about personalities or gifts of communication or organizational ability. None of these things qualify a leader if conviction is absent. Without apology, a Christian leader is a lifelong student of the holy book, like Sam was talking about. We should, our conviction should be based on the word of God. Now, God once spoke of his people being destroyed for lack of knowledge, and that's a deplorable place to be and a stern warning that should get our attention, but it seems like the leaders were no longer communicating conviction that was based on God's word to the people that were were following. We trust leaders when we see that their lives align with their convictions. When Nehemiah asked Hananiah about the Jews who had escaped and were living in Jerusalem, he found that they were living in reproach. The walls had been uh, destroyed. He sat down and wept, and he mourned, and he fasted, and he prayed to God. And he reminded God of the covenant he had made with Israel. He confessed the sins of the people, and he reminded God that when the people repented, God had said that he would restore them. And Nehemiah was based on that that conviction. The word of God was able to rebuild the wall. And there was opposition to his plan. But because of his deep conviction, he was not deterred. We know that the wall was built in 52 days. But that was not the end of the story. Uh, Nehemiah in his deep conviction, was not finished until he had returned the people, the heart of the people, to the word of God, back to the law of God. 
And Nehemiah is a great example of a leader who had developed deep conviction by understanding God's word, by reading God's word. He was able to convey that to his followers. Now, leadership is, like I said earlier, um, communication, and communication is leadership. And Moses, of course, was concerned about this, being of slow speech. And he was concerned that that would hinder his potential or ability or credibility as a leader. And I think he had reason to be. The the leader has a lot of, of different tasks that are assigned to him, but communication it seems to always be at the forefront of um, things that a leader needs to do. And a leader can have brilliant strategy in his mind and a vision that is just unbelievable. And his heart can be full of passion, but if he cannot communicate that to others, leadership never really takes place. And so communication is vital if we want to be leaders under God. To teach others about the gospel, we need to communicate and communicate effectively. Mark Twain once said that the difference between the almost right word and the right word is the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning. And in leadership, there are ways that we can uh, learn to communicate clearly and effectively and consistently. If we don't have a message, we have nothing to communicate. And so here again, um, going back to Sam's topic, the word of God becomes vital and knowledge of God's word and understanding and studying God's word so that we can clearly communicate that is important. Leaders aim for three hallmarks of powerful communication. The first one is clarity. And no one wants to be a confusing communicator. And that's probably one of my biggest fears when I stand up here is that I'll confuse someone or the message will be unclear. And Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 2 said, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in meekness and in much fear and trembling, and my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in power, in the power of God. Paul's desire was not to impress his people with lofty speech, but to be clear, simple, and effective in his communication. The second hallmark of communication is consistency. We all know and um, know what it feels like to see somebody say something but not live up to their, uh, what they were uh, communicating. Uh, Effective leaders are consistent. Their lives line up with their message. What they communicate is what they live. And the third hallmark of an effective communicator is repetition. Um, I'm told that the best leaders, uh, when they gather their uh, employees or followers together, the followers will already know what they're going to say. 
It'll just be a different flavor of what they've already heard because they are repeating their convictions and the passions and positions that they hold uh, dear to their heart. They're just repeating them over and over again. Jesus did this when he was here on earth. Jesus communicated a lot, and he was an effective communicator. He was clear, he was consistent, and he repeated the message over and over again. Another tenet of leadership is compassion. You've all heard the saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I'd like to point us to Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus sees the crowds of people, he had compassion on them because they were confused and they were uh, like sheep without a shepherd. I think compassion is developed in our lives when we see the needs of humanity. We try to see things from uh, other people's perspective. We, we identify with the pain or the hurt. Hebrews 4.15 says, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but he was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Can you imagine Jesus as your leader without compassion? In Mark 5, Jesus heals the demoniac who roamed around uh, cutting himself with stones and um, breaking shackles, terrorizing the community. And after being released, he wanted to follow Jesus. But Jesus told him to go back to his people and communicate to them the compassion that he had received from the Lord, the mercy that he had received. In Mark 1, Jesus was moved with compassion to heal a man that had been plagued with a dreaded disease of leprosy. In Luke 7, Jesus saw a funeral procession and it was carrying the body of the widow's son. It says that when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and he raised her son to life. Jesus was a man of compassion. And Jesus taught and the stories that he used led, lead us uh, to compassion. Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan who had compassion. Jesus told the story of the loving father who had compassion on the wayward son. Imagine how different our world would be if our national leaders or our community leaders or our family leaders would be compassionate like Jesus was. As leaders, we should follow the example of, of our loving Savior and lead from a heart of compassion. Now, Jesus' compassion also compelled him to confront sinful thoughts and behaviors. And sometimes that's hard for us to see. Uh, was Jesus' interaction with the scribes and Pharisees compassionate? I think there's a side of compassion that, that we don't like and that is the ability to confront sin and caring enough about someone to uh, point out their sin, their weakness, so that we can compel them to right living and right thinking and repentance. But Jesus was able to do that. And of course, he is our ultimate example. Colossians 3.12 
Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Now, another translation says, Ye are the people of God. He loved you and chose you for his own. So then, you must clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I'd like to spend just a little more time uh, on the courage, where we find the courage to lead than, than on some of these. And I'd look, like to look at the example of Joshua when he was given the call to lead after the death of Moses. Where did he find the courage to lead? In Joshua chapter 1, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. These were God's words to Joshua. And there was, again, we see clear direction. He was to, to go to lead the people over Jordan and into the promised land. And Joshua found courage based on clear word of the Lord, the clear direction, knowing God's word, the clearly revealed word of God is foundational for finding strength and courage to accept any area of responsibility in ministry. And I appreciated what Sam shared about the Bible. If we're not uh, people of the Bible, if we're not reading the Bible, we're going to be weak and we will find courage as we understand clearly what God uh, tells us from his word. Without understanding the truths of God work, God's word, we are timid and shy. We are weak leaders. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but Moses had decided on his own that he was going to identify with the people of Israel rather than enjoy uh, Egypt and all it offered. But his attempt uh, at leadership before he had the clear word of the Lord, failed miserably. And I think for us to be successful in ministry, in serving others, in leading others, we need clear word of the Lord. And that word is the Bible, the Holy Bible that we, we heard about earlier. If we don't know what the Bible says, then we really have no business trying to lead someone to the Lord. Courage to lead also comes through resting in God's promises. And in uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, Joshua is again reminded of those promises. Uh, God tells him, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. As I said unto Moses, From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto this great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Again, here's clear word from the Lord, clear promise that uh, God will be with Joshua, he will make him successful, and he will pave the way for him. And for the believer, understanding the promises of God, again, based in the word of God, gives courage to lead. A third uh, area where Joshua received courage comes from um, 
the daily renewal in God's principles in verses 7 and 8. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. I'm sorry, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now, successful ministry according to these verses, is directly linked and related to solid Bible teaching and study. And it is not connected to the, the tactics or the uh, methods, the techniques and strategy of man. We think of a leader as somebody who um, can, can motivate and is full of charisma and can uh, communicate well, and that's all important. But the most important aspect, I think, or one of the most important aspects of successful leadership is a solid biblical foundation. And this is extremely important if we have aspirations to lead God's church. The word is intrinsically powerful and is able to produce godly change in our lives as it motivates us, as it encourages us, and uh, gives hope and direction for us. After all, I think the word of God is, was given to us as a way for God to communicate with us. And God, we understand, desires relationship with us. And the word of God is uh, his letter to us. It is a means of fellowship with him. And it's a way for us to connect to God. The law was not to depart from his mouth. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 7. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. The law of the Lord, the word of God, should be on on our hearts and on our minds constantly. If we want to be able to uh, train our mind or to um, condition our mind, just like our body has reflexes, uh, we don't really think about all the things that our body does uh, before we do them. Our mind should be the same way. With Bible study, spending time in God's Word, we can train our mind with the right intellectual reflex based on the conviction that we see and we find in God's Word. In Ezra 7.10, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And here again, we see Ezra spending time in God's word and preparing his heart to seek the law of the Lord. I'm afraid that many of us, um, and I've experienced this, are timid and we're shy and we end up being drawn into the world's pattern of thinking, wrong thinking and wrong living, because we're not spending time in God's word. Courage to lead also comes through realizing and relying on God's presence and his person, the Holy Spirit. 
in verse 9 of Joshua chapter 1, it says, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. And I think the important part in these verses is the fact that God promises to be present with Joshua. They focus our attention off of ourselves and our weakness, and they give attention to God who is leading us. And you can compare the, the fear that uh, the disciples had before um, they were filled with the Holy Spirit to the power that they had after they were convinced and confident of Jesus' presence with them through the aid of the Holy Spirit. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So Joshua received courage to lead by recognizing God's will, by resting in God's promises, by renewing, by the renewal of God's principles, and by realizing God's presence. The last one we'll look at is the character of a leader. And this may be one of the most important parts about leadership. I think this trumps any of our uh, supposed abilities or gifts that we think we might have if we lack character. If we are weak in character, we are disqualified from being a leader. Think about, uh, we just came through a political season here, but think about the office of president. When there is a presidential election taking place, there are, uh, each time that comes around, there's different issues and um, agendas that each one of these leaders has. But one of the things that comes to the surface rather quickly is the character of the one who is running for office. That's usually pushed to the forefront of the conversation rather early on. And people understand that character matters. We don't want to follow a leader that we cannot trust. Former President Calvin Coolidge said that character is the only secure foundation of the state. A person's character forms the foundation from which he leads. It is where leadership comes from. And within humanity, we understand that we want to stay away from people who lack character, and we're drawn to people who, who have character. And in ancient civilizations, they understood this as well. This was a big thing for the Greek and Roman leaders to be uh, men of character. They wanted to um, possess these virtues, and they wanted to see this in their leaders. More recently... Um, People have attempted to replicate this. Um, leaders um, in the not-so-distant past have, were more, less concerned about their private life, but they still wanted to have that um, public persona of uh, character. And so they would be very concerned about what they did in public, but the things they did in private, private were deplorable. And their idea of strong character was just an outward persona of that. Attempting to live the most virtu virtuous public life society could imagine. And that worked for a long time. But scandals and crisis and history itself have, have sort of revealed the flaws and the cracks in some of those statues and in those leaders who attempted to live public 
lives of character, but privately were not virtuous. So we are no longer okay with having a leader who just has a public persona of uh, strong character. We want the one we follow to be um, a man of character from the inside out. Peggy Noonan, who was a speechwriter for Ronald Reagan, says that in a president, character is everything. A president does not have to be brilliant. You can hire brilliance. You can hire clubber. You can hire pragmatic. But you cannot buy courage and decency. You can't rent a strong moral sense. A leader must bring his character with him. So if a character is seen to be such an important part of our national leader or of any community leader, surely the follower of Christ, and especially a church leader, the one who leads Christ's church, must possess an unshakable moral foundation from which to lead. And sadly, our national culture has just been reduced to that public persona of morality, but privately, we don't want to be bothered with morality. Because of their subjective nature, Americans want character without conviction and morality without feeling guilt or shame. We want virtue without, but without offense. We want good without naming evil. Our culture demands decency without authority to insist upon it. We want to live in a moral community without any limitations to personal freedom. And sadly, uh, the church has often followed that style of leadership, that style of living. As Christians, we must know a far deeper and urgent call to character. It's not just a public persona, but it is the condition of our heart that we are concerned with. Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And I think the Bible clearly reveals that character of the heart, the condition of the heart, is the important part. Now, one of the reasons that um, we shy away from leadership is because of verses that we find, like in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. We see character, we see lists of character qualities of leaders. And there is uh, 14 listed there. He is to be above reproach. He is to be the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. He must, be, he must not be a recent convert. He must be well thought of by outsiders. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well. It's 14 requirements that we see. The one that we, the one that usually scares us is he must be above reproach, or another word would be blameless. And so as soon as we see that, we think, well, uh, I'm out. That's not me. And we give up. Now, God does not require blamelessness or, um, uh, yeah, he does not require blamelessness in a leader so that leaders are uh, somehow up here and everyone else is on a lower level. But he requires blamelessness blameless living 
from the life of a leader to be an example to those who are following. God's desires that we are all blameless, that we're all living above reproach, not that there's different levels of living within the church. So I would argue that the 14, um, well, all of the qualifications that, that we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 have to do with a char- the character of the man. And possibly you could say the exception of being able to teach is, is one that actually has to do with somebody's giftedness. So the, the bulk of what Paul is concerned about is the character of a leader. The character of a leader is to be above reproach. Now God is willing to work with and through our weaknesses. And there is forgiveness for um, anyone, including leaders, who call out to God in repentance. But that doesn't always restore credibility uh, to, to the people we are following. But repentance is uh, available for leaders as well. Now, I want to wrap this up, and I think that um, if I'm honest with myself, it feels sort of boastful and pride to talk about leadership. It's not something that we like, or we, yeah, we're not really comfortable talking about um, aspiring to leadership, because that sounds proud. But Paul tells us, like I already mentioned, that it is an honorable calling. It is an honorable and noble desire to be a leader. And so I want to encourage us to be leaders, not for the position or the power or the prestige, but as we know leadership to be, serving others as Christ served us. One of, the, one of the reasons that, that Paul spoke about leadership was that in that day, it was dangerous to be a leader. You, could, uh, you would be hunted. You would be, um, yeah, there was uh, danger involved. Your life was at risk. And sometimes it's almost that same fear that leaders, that prevents us from being leaders because we don't want to be hunted We don't want to stick our neck out for fear that somebody will cut it off. Uh, But I think that when we realize that leadership is honorable, that especially church leadership is honorable and it's noble, it's a good desire, it's it's an honorable desire, Uh, we can begin the conversation of how to be good leaders and we can continue that conversation in a more healthy way. And if we're uncomfortable with the idea of leadership, uh, we don't really need to worry about it because in Jesus' kingdom, like I said, in Mark 10, 42, it's upside down. So if you want to aspire to leadership, simply serve. You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whoever of you will be chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to minister unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. So we can all begin 
by serving. For even the King of Kings came to serve us. We are not all called to positions of leadership, but all of us should be leaders by virtue of communicating our passionately held convictions born out of understanding of God's plan and purpose for our lives and believing his promises and trusting who he is. Let's follow Christ's example for us of laying down our lives for those around us and serving them as we aspire to leadership. Let's kneel for prayer.